If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. An Erio's original. Because I think as an artist, one of the most precious jobs that we have is to give license to people to feel things. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. Hi, welcome to The Margaret Show. I'm Margaret Show. I'm going to talk to people you know and people you should know. Today, we're talking to Alok. Yeah, coming out of the dark. Were you working in Los Angeles? I was just hanging out. Where were you hanging out? In Mass Island. Oh, nice. That's yeah. perfect. I love WeHo. All of the places I used to go, I haven't gone for a while. And then a lot of the women's spaces are gone. Like there used to be a good dyke bar called The Palm, Hmm. which is gone. And it was where all the quote unquote ugly girls went. So they called it The Pound. So of course it was my home, Hmm. my favorite. It was like the one woman only space there. Not woman only, but it was like lesbian dominant, Mm -hmm. I think. There's not really, I mean, the... Lesbian spaces, they, they Yeah, I was asking up. for people because I just saw gay men everywhere. I was like, where are all the queer women? Yeah, the, the lesbian spaces dry up. I don't know why that is. Is it is it that we nest or that we sort of get partnered and nest and then kind of fall away? But I, I love a bar. I love a gay bar. To me, it's something that's really precious. But uh, I think it's so nice to be with women. I mean, there, I'm from San Francisco, so there's kind of a a sense of... Maybe a few more women's spaces, but yeah, not as much. Right, it's strange. Well, I wish I could have seen you in LA. We could have, <laughs> we could have had a had a, a nice um, a mocktail. Yeah, and had a good time. <laughs> I love your hair. Thank you. I'm, you know, I am in my own hair now. I'm like, what do I do with it now? Like, where should I go with it? Do you have to bleach it out to get it? Yeah. It's a, Thank a, God for my hair stylist. It's a long process, though. It's long. To go from dark... It's a commitment. ...to light. How long is the bleach process? 
So we watched three episodes of Stranger Things. Okay, so it's about, <laughs> that's three increments of like 48 minutes. I actually don't believe in time anymore. I believe in episodes of Stranger Things. Right. It's my new unit. <laughs> so. Are you 11 or are you? Um... <laughs> um, I'm 11. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just feel like that trauma arc of just like my power comes from being institutionalized by a gender binary and yes. I'm just breaking out, you know? Breaking and out. And I have to channel my rage and then I'm able to right. like see things, you know? Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. And with her, it's like there's a lot of like not threatening the patriarchy too much with your power. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm just starting season three and behind, but I'm just sad that her her hair has grown out because I kind of miss the like lack of hair. That was a moment for me. I love that lack of hair. Yeah. Hair is so, it's integral to your being. I've been doing a lot of reading Mm -hmm. about you and from you and you talk a lot about hair. Mm -hmm. And so the bleaching, it's, to me, it's a process because it's like we have to take all of the the, the blackness out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you have the bleach on for, for the three episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we bleach it. And then I try to do something new every time. So I dye my hair like every two months now. So this time I just I, I, I buzzed off all my hair in May. So I used to have like hair down to my shoulders mm-hmm. a little bit longer. So I was like, how can we dye something like this? I feel like a chia pet right now. It's like a little <laughs> short. <laughs> and so my hairstylist is like, let's just go as many colors as possible and then see what happens. And so now every day I wake up and it's like a new gradient. So that's been fun mm. because every time I wash it now, it like takes a new form. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. When you bleach it out, does it affect like the the way it feels on you? Like, is it like the texture of it? Is it is it different? Totally. So I have to deep condition like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like I've had to really learn how to condition. So I do leaving conditioners, Olaplex, not sponsored yet, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Olaplex is really helpful. So I just like leave in conditioner overnight, and that's how I'm able to keep the curls. How do people relate to you with the color, the different colors? Do you notice a difference? Like people that that there's that saying like blondes have more fun. Mm-hmm. Do green-haired people have more fun. You know, I feel like I'm already, like, just a visual what the fuck. So I think mm-hmm. this is kind of already the, just the icing on top. People already don't know how to relate to me. I'm giving them so many signifiers they've never had to cope with. So when they mm-hmm. see the hair, it just kind of... I don't think for many people, like, having seven colors in your hair would make sense. But for me, it just does. So Yeah, it does. Yeah, like... It does because it, it evokes a kind of play. Yeah. And also it's candy color. Yeah. So there's a hyper, hyper realistic or, like, very futuristic quality to yeah. it, too. I, I, I just feel like you get to a certain point in your aesthetic where anytime you mess up, it seems intentional. Like, that's, for me, the ultimate style goals. Like, yeah. one time I accidentally just shaved a rectangle into my hair. Oh, cute. And I just pretended that it was intentional. Yeah. And then everyone was like, yeah, like, that looks amazing. Yeah, they're, and, going, they're going with it. <laughs> yeah, and you just work it. Yeah. I love it. And it also, you've given me a little bit 80s, too. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a little bit of, like, working girl. There's a little bit of an indie film heroine in there, mm-hmm. too. Like, a little bit of Desperately Seeking Susan as well. Madonna, not Rosanna right. Arquette. I just feel like living is ultimate cosplay, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just trolling, you know? No, you're right. People are so invested in being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, especially, and I was thinking about what we talk about, I feel like especially when you're an Asian American woman or when you're an Asian American trans person, we there's so much exhaustion and fatigue in having to be taken seriously because we're so often the butt of other people's jokes. Right. And especially when you're doing comedy, you have to overcompensate because you're like, okay, 
I am going to do this really difficult work of trying to crack a joke when you already see me as a joke. What yes. the fuck? Yes. <laughs> How do I do that? You know, because yes. you already think I'm funny. Yeah. But I'm not the joke. I'm about to say a joke. You right. Know? So I, I think really struggle because I'm like, I want you to laugh at me, but but also laugh with me. So how right. do I do that? And be in control of the joke and right. not to be the victim of it. Or you can be the victim of it if you have some say in what's happening. Right. And I think we come from cultures that are so uh, fixed in their gender expression. Mm -hmm. It's almost like to walk outside of it is really criminal. Right, absolutely. It's very hard. By both our own communities and by white people. Exactly. And each have their own disciplining of us for it. And it's kind of like to be an outlaw there, it's really gratifying, but it's also, you know, it it takes a lot of energy. You know, for me too, being bisexual, that's something hard to like my family to deal with, like because they understand gay, mm-hmm. absolutely, they're fine with gay, straight, of course, they're totally fine with, but bisexual, that's like they have a real problem mm-hmm. with that thing, and they they act like, oh, you just don't know mm-hmm. what's happening, mm-hmm. and it's not that's not true, but that's how they perceive it. I think that there's so many commonalities between the bi and pan experience, and between being Mm non-binary because I think we both deal with that kind of pick a side kind of rhetoric Mm -hmm. where people are just like threatened by our indeterminacy yes and threatened because we're actually saying you don't have to choose right and threatened because we're actually saying it's fluid and it evolves and it shifts Mm -hmm. and people can't deal with that because they've been taught that they have to pick a side one and two they've been taught that they are the summation of a word and I think a lot of the violence that I experience is because I'm actually offering a gift to the world where I'm saying you're so much more expansive than one word. Mm-hmm. You're so much more expansive than one identity or category. Why can't you believe that? Yes, that's that's a wonderful way to explain it to people. It's like you're giving them the options that are infinite mm-hmm. and you don't have to decide. I think that's really beautiful as opposed to really having to think about it. Like, I mean, I think even in queerness, there is that like, identity thing of like you can't be queer unless you're actually doing this <laughs> you mm-hmm. know there there's certain ways to be and fixing yourself to those ways to be and it's hard mm-hmm. it's really hard i think that there's that like traumatizing moment when you come out as queer and you're like i'm rid of all the police saying like i'm liberated mm-hmm. i'm free and then you're like oh fuck like here i am again uh-huh. and i think that is what i'm trying to break out of like for me I want to live a world where there's no policing of my expression. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad because even within the trans community, we are so intense and vigilant about policing one another. You're not trans enough because you're not medically transitioning or you're not a woman enough because you don't look like this or this is the only way to be legitimately this. And I'm just like, where does this hangover come from where we're constantly trying to be real in these particular ways? And mm-hmm. why can't we just, like, who who gets to define what real is? Right. And, and I think that's why performance is so exciting for me because in performance, we kind of, we give up on trying to be real and we recognize that performance where we're actually saying, hey, everyone, I'm playing pretend, that playing pretend actually feels more real than reality is anyways. And um, what kind of uh, performance art inspires you like Mm. when I used to go to see Karen Finley that's Mm -hmm. where I really felt a lot of like real truth Mm -hmm. you know and uh, and in the 90s like people were really ready to mock that kind of performance art because they were like oh it's just somebody shoving yams at their butt but it's actually like it's major there's so much more to it than that but people can only see it for 
like something that makes them uncomfortable, therefore it must be a joke. Right. I moved to New York for that kind of performance art world. Mm. So theaters like La Mama Experimental yeah. were really foundational for me. Joe's Pub. Yeah. Places like Abrams Art Center. And now we have Performance Space NYC, which is back up and running here. Mm-hmm. Kind of more political experimental performance spaces in New York City were so foundational to me. Uh, at teaching me how performance is where we come to learn how to be better people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a workshop for like how to develop new intimacy and how to like be curious again. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I I look to people like Ishmael Houston Jones is like a mentor of mine who is an amazing black gay choreographer who has just incredible work. And one of the pieces that he does that just makes me cry every time I see it is he chops an onion as he reads kind of like love letters from his exes. And then he smashes the onions into his eyes and Mm. he's just sobbing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he's just hyper performing this kind of sadness we all know intimately. Yeah. But through staging that in such an extreme way, we're allowed to access that pain that we've repressed. Yeah. And that's what I believe is that sometimes we have to stage the extremity of something in order to even access it. Because we live in a culture that literally makes us diminish the things that we're feeling all the time. Yes. So on stage, I often have to give permission to my audiences to feel things Mm -hmm. because I think as an artist, one of the most precious jobs that we have is to give license to people to feel things. Yes. Like people don't know how to really experience mirth anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't really know how to laugh. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to grieve. They don't know how to feel in the most intimate sense of that. And so when I crack a joke, I think about the ethics of that joke in a world where there's pain. How do I and I and I don't think a lot of white male comedians think about that. Oh no, never. <laughs> no, they would never at all. No, they would never. Why? I, I'm thinking about like what does it mean to laugh when you're suffering? Yeah. Like I'm I'm mm-hmm. really thinking about what does it mean to experience joy when after this show you're going to experience violence. Yes. And and how do how do I think about joy as a form of survival making and world making Mm -hmm. amidst a world of pain because for me sometimes the pain is insurmountable and the violence is so totalizing that a laugh is actually an act of resistance. Yes, yeah. Um, And so what I'm trying to do is sort of template and and sometimes fantasy and performance are forms of, of template. And I think that's why performance is so important to me as a modality. And that's, I think, so related to my gender journey and my project is so many times critics of me will be like, well, you know, to be taken seriously, you have to dress like this, or you should you should tone it down to do this. And I'm like, I actually started dressing like this on stage. And then I realized the boundaries between the stage and real life were irrelevant to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my performance identity was me. And yeah. every day is drag. And mm-hmm. every outfit is a performance outfit. Yeah. And why not? Yeah, that's very deep, though. It's very deep to really recognize the importance of laughter and play in a world that we're continually victimized and Mm -hmm. then continually forced to diminish and hide it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's very, it is very life affirming and life saving. Mm -hmm. It gets to the depth of why we want art or why we need art to survive. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. And I, I think especially when I'm thinking about the political times we're in right now, One of the first things Trump did, lol, when he was elected, which I still don't really understand, Mm -hmm. is he cut the National Endowment for the Arts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us as artists were up in arms about this, and a lot of people weren't artists 
didn't get it. Mm -hmm. But what people don't understand is, of course, they come for the artists first. Yeah. Because what we are actually doing is templating another way to live. Mm -hmm. And when you dispossess people of an alternative, they become accustomed to the status quo. And so they forget, hey, there's another way to live. Right. And that's what's happening right now is we are getting assimilated into a status quo and we're forgetting this isn't what things used to be like. Mm -hmm. So I hear stories of what the art scene used to be like in New York City. Mm. I hear about what clubs used to do. Yes. I hear about how they used to hire artists to do installations mm -hmm. and bars. Yeah. I hear about how nightlife used to be something very different. Yes. And I'm like, what? Yes, yes. <laughs> now things are so cordoned off. Like right. the lines and the boundaries between performance and nightlife and this are, are so different. Yeah. And we forget. And mm -hmm. because, and we just, we take what is now as what has always been. And that's not true. And mm -hmm. that's why we need things like art and history and archives and podcasts mm -hmm. because we have to leave evidence. And I think a lot of what I'm I'm across is, I think as Asian American women and trans people, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when we will be disappeared. Yes. So we're up against the reality that our contributions will be willfully ignored. So mm -hmm. while we're making work, we have to think, how am I documenting my work? Mm -hmm. Because no one else is gonna be doing that for yeah. me. And it's like also, why not have fun doing it? Right. And the f the fabulous like flourish of getting to play with all of these gender expressions, you know, whether it's hair or clothing or makeup or shoes, everything about it, it's like to turn all of these things that, you know, can be thought of as like being in service to like high heels mm -hmm. or like, you know, makeup and, and uh, shaving and all these things, but we could actually flip it and make it a celebration of loving those things, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, what's your favorite part about playing dress up? Like what's the favorite kind of dress up do you like to do? Mm. I think my favorite moment is when I'm able to look in the mirror and I just like squeal because I'm like, wow, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a kind of magic that comes from self-creation. Mm -hmm. I really understand birthing to be continual. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's just utterly unambitious to say I was born in this year. Yeah. Because I'm constantly re reborn. Right. And like shout out to my mom. She, she did a good job, I guess. But like <laughs> that that moment was just one of millions, yes, you know? Yes. And like I, I've experienced so much in my life that has caused me to have to die so many spiritual deaths. Yes. But I've also done so much in my life that has caused me to be reborn so many times. Mm -hmm. And I think style for me has always been a way of documenting that. Yes. So when I put together an outfit, it's also about saying like, look at what I've overcome. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't get that because in our misogynist culture, we expect feminine people to be adorning themselves and ourselves for male validation. Right. So a lot of people think that I am just dressing this way to solicit attention or because I'm an exhibitionist mm -hmm. or because I want other people to look at me. Mm -hmm. But actually, I'm really just doing this for myself yes. because I have an intimate relationship with my own self-presentation. Mm -hmm. It's that when I catch glimpses of myself, it makes getting spat on a little bit less violent because I'm mm. like, wow, I'm wearing armor. Yeah. Or it makes like people staring at me a little bit less obtrusive because I'm like, oh, I'm just so, I'm so glamorous. Yes. Like, what's up? So yes. it's like, if people are going to demean me, at least I feel so amazing while I'm getting to me. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's the whole point of it, you know, is to be like so in love with the expression that you've created that slings and arrows are meaningless. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And know? it's something that we can all do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why people don't 
speak about it as a form of political resistance is because it's such an accessible and immediate form of resistance. Mm -hmm. Like, I think people only want to talk about activism as like a protest, but it's like, actually, activism can be something as simple as like, how you put on makeup, Mm -hmm. or like, um, painting your nails in a certain way. Like the ways that we present our bodies to the world can be such a powerful symbol, especially for those of us who have never been able to control how our bodies are represented. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, like, you know, the sort of feminist slogan of our bodies being a a battleground has been so real. Yeah. Because from such a young age, it was such a site of contestation because people had such firm beliefs of, what articles of clothing I could or could not wear, how I could or could not walk. And something as simple as like how I moved my hand could solicit such extreme violence Mm -hmm. that I began to realize that like something like me speaking a word with my tongue in this way can make hundreds of millions of people hate me. (laughs) That's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And so I began to reframe it. It's not that I'm weak. All mm-hmm. these people who say that I am weak or that I am superficial or that I am excessive or that I am wrong or that I have a disorder, they're actually commenting on themselves. Right. What they are actually saying is that I am so strong, that mm-hmm. I am so powerful, that I am so tremendous, that I am so beautiful, that they can't actually coexist with my power and yeah. my beauty, right. that they have to eliminate someone like me from their presence. Mm-hmm. because. If they were in my presence, they would have to reconsider everything about themselves. Mm. And so that's why for me, a lot of what I'm trying to preach with my work and my my composite is like self-autonomy of your body, your ability to name it, your ability to choose your pronouns, your ability to dress as you want, your ability to remove your body hair or not, your ability mm-hmm. to wear whatever clothes you want or not. That actually can be such a political symbol and a world that at every level is regulating what you should or should not look like. And it's like that reframing can really save lives. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that you're like talking to young people. Of course. And that's really, I mean, because that is so valuable. That's a, such a valuable lesson. And you're a young person yourself. So mm-hmm. it's like to be able to, from child to child, tell them like, this is how we should look at it and really, really be a salvation for so many people, so many kids. Because mm-hmm. it's true. It's like, why should something so uh, small as like a mannerism or a way you do mm-hmm. something be kind of like so feared, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that they've got to destroy it or else they can't even exist on your plane, mm-hmm. you know, so that's good. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Have you, I mean, I know you've written and spoken so publicly about the ways that you've been treated and quote the industry. Mm-hmm. Have you been thinking more about like how people responded to your self-assertion and your pride as yeah. an Asian American woman? I think so because it's like sometimes, well, I notice like a lot of times people have experienced the same thing, especially like in body shaming, especially Mm -hmm. in Asian American women, that our bodies being too large is like a a problem, like like there is a size that is somehow right. Mm -hmm. And um, to be outsized and to be louder than we should be, you know, that that is a big crime and that we're constantly being told to be silent, constantly being told to not be so emotional, constantly trying to tamp down everything. And my resistance to that is usually, I think, what really um, brings people to to want to witness me, to want to see me and to hmm. be around me because they want to be around somebody who doesn't have to control it or is speaking out against controlling it. Hmm. It's like, why do we have to control it? Why do we have to be quiet? Why do we have to be submissive or shy or silent, you know, um, or not seen? And in being a comedian, has been very powerful and it's inspired a lot of people to want to do similar things. So it's... It's really like trying to gain momentum in this resistance, mm-hmm. you know, and get there and do it in a way that is fun where we can still have pleasure mm-hmm. and, and a good time with it ourselves. And over the course of your career, have you seen a big shift? Yeah. I mean, I think I have seen like also more of a shift towards more of like an idea of accepting ourselves and accepting beauty and even like somebody like I, I see like Lizzo, mm-hmm. which is so pure and beautiful to me it's like wow you know finally we actually have this rock star Mm -hmm. who is out there and 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 really talking about all of these things that i really have been wanting to get out there for so long and i wonder if there's more you know i always hope that there's more i think for us it's all about visibility and Mm -hmm. for asian americans it's getting better it's inching closer to something like mm-hmm. visibility, something like multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. You know, we're getting there. It takes so long, though. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's an, an amazing honor to meet with you because I feel like you paved the way for so many of us Thank you. at a time when there was so much hostility mm-hmm. and where people weren't ready. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing people like Ali Wong now, and I'm just, like, so happy. Yeah. But I'm also, like... I think you created the visibility for someone like Ali. Yeah. Like that legacy. And I I really think about generational legacy Mm -hmm. because I think for me as a trans person, I didn't have access to like elders. Mm -hmm. I very much moved to New York trying to find older trans people because I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How do I, how do I, what do I wear? Like, how do, how do I exist? Like, what Mm -hmm. do I do? And and my first few years in New York, I, I met people who were like at the Stonewall Rebellion and I mm-hmm. met people who had been in New York for decades. And, and one of my, my dear friends, Daisy, like took me 
to a YMCA and gave me pink boxing gloves and was like, if you're going to dress like this, then you need to learn how to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. And she like, <laughs> taught me how to fight. And, and that moment was so important for me in my career because what she was really teaching me is like, we have to stick up for each other. Right. And there are lessons that I've learned that I'm going to have to teach you and it's going to be tough, mm -hmm. but I love you and that's why I'm going to be honest with you mm -hmm. and I, I really as I'm young but I'm also not I'm 28 now and I really take artist men mentorship really seriously mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of times and a lot of mentorship capacities that I've been in white artists have set me up to fail because they've not been honest about the realities of racism in the industry right whereas I think a lot of Asian American artists have been really honest with me of mm -hmm. like you're gonna be working against dynamics that n people are not gonna tell you are in the room yeah and you're gonna have to work doubly hard mm -hmm. and people are not gonna get your references and yeah. they're gonna expect you like I remember my first um, film I was ever on. I was in HBO's The Trans List. And when I was in the editing room, I was just talking on the film about my life and they started to play a sitar in the background and it had nothing to do mm -hmm. with what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. And so I asked, like, why are you playing this? Yeah. And they're like, um, you're Indian. And I yeah. was like, would you play classical music when a white person was yeah, speaking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, no, but like it's your culture. And I'm like, yeah. like not every single word that I say equals right. my culture. Right. And it was just such a humiliating moment for mm -hmm. me where I was like, okay, this is my first like mainstream entertainment access, but mm -hmm. so humiliated mm -hmm. where I'm like, uh, do you not understand how this is fucked? And they don't even have the vocabulary to understand right. how that's fucked up. Right, 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 right. And so I think a lot of what I've been thinking a lot about is like, the, the pitfalls of visibility are when you become visible, but then you're also silenced because you're not allowed to speak about how you're visible, but also being violated. Right. How visibility can also be a violating structure. Yeah. How they make you hyper-visible, but then also make you shut up. Right. And how they don't actually want to talk about the backlash they experience when you're visible. Mm -hmm. They have us be visible, but on their terms. Yeah, I know that if I uh, would ever do anything or talking about race and anything, that I would also have maybe like flute music slowly start right. to rise <laughs> you right. know that or like um a gong a gong <laughs> yeah but yeah i, I which is so like you know it's it's funny how they don't even know like that that would be offensive right because they think oh well we're enhancing this is what they like right that kind of thing but it's about educating and, and you know speaking out about that kind of stuff and, you know, it's funny because I see a lot of that in gay spaces. Like if you're right. talking about, you know, totally. like the trans list, because yeah. I think a lot of like gayness, they're so burdened by the identity of gayness that they can't even get to race because mm -hmm. there's just so much to unpack around it. Mm -hmm. So that's where I experience a lot of like this kind of like fetishism or like um, or if you would go on like a, an app and it would say no fats, no femmes no Asians, mm -hmm. you know, and that this was totally like a normal thing to see because a lot of times gay people just like can't even imagine that they would have a problem with race mm -hmm. because they already have to deal so much with homophobia. For it's, sure. It's like I feel like I experienced some of the worst transphobia in gay, gay spaces and gay yeah. community. Yeah. And I think that that's been really hard to see how I feel like the gay community is so supportive of cis men doing drag mm -hmm. but is not supportive of trans women and trans feminine people right. and that's just very confusing where i'm like 
it's it's been really it's been really telling. Like I I take a very detailed diary. Uh-huh. <laughs> so for the past like ten years, I write down every single thing that I'm doing in a day, what I think and what I feel. And I just know that there will be a very juicy memoir in the yeah. future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I think it's just so interesting because I think, you know, a lot of people are like, look, you're the first to do this or you're the first that looks like you doing this. And I'm like, it's exhausting to mm-hmm. be the first because I actually am asking, why am I the first? Like, that's mm-hmm. always my first question because I know a lot of other people who look like me. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends who look like me who are just as talented as me. And are working very hard, but you don't see them, and I do. Mm-hmm. And the reason you don't see them is because of your transphobia and because of your racism, not because of their talent. Right. And I just think about how willfully we reproduce the same. Like I, I watch the latest movies, I look at the latest TV shows, and I'm just like, there's a crisis of just like white hetero mediocrity. It's mm-hmm. like. Honestly, I want to be the Mother Teresa to the straight white people. I want to just save them because I'm like, how can you watch the same plot and still not know how to date? Like, <laughs> honest to God, like there's a crisis right now where like mm-hmm. you literally don't know how to date after watching a zillion movies. Like, right. I don't even have one and I'm still out here doing great. Like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> like, if we're literally saying representation like helps and I don't even have any representation and I'm good. Yeah. You have all the representation in the world and you're still basic. Like, what's That's going so on? Amazing. You know? You know, yeah. It's <laughs> like, so I recently did Powerful. the fashion week circuit in new york mm-hmm. and i was just like you know i was just going to grace fashion week mm-hmm. so i showed up and i outperformed all the models of mm-hmm. course the theme of this week's fashion week just like the theme of the white fashion weeks always is um, mediocrity <laughs> and this just in and i was just watching mediocrity happen and what they do is i just see them like literally just scrolling on my ig feed taking all of my aesthetics mm-hmm. and putting it on the same thin white straight cis girls mm-hmm. And I'm just so bored. I'm like, when are we going to break out of this and actually put the disabled, brown, gender non-conforming, trans, queer people Mm -hmm. who have been creating pop culture forever? Because I just reject for so long and my queer people have called me underground. They call me alternative. Mm-hmm. They call me like submerged. I'm I'm forcibly put underground. Like I That's never right. consented to being yes. underground. You just buried me there. Right. Like I've been literally like people have these fears of being like buried before you're actually dead. Right. That's what you do to Asian American artists. It's right. <laughs> it's so true. It's so like, true. We're literally out here like, hey everyone, I'm a pop star. <laughs> like I'm the next Miley Cyrus, and they're like, you're an underground performance <laughs> artist. They're like, no, everyone, I'm making club ballads. Like I'm actually just talking about love and heartbreak, and they're yes. like playing a gong. Like, yes. what's going on? It's We're so... not ever allowed to be mainstream, and no. it's not our choice. Mm-hmm. It's because they always make us minority, even when we're not. We're a global supermajority. Right. My hypothesis is it's only because white people only got numbers through appropriating math from us. That's right. So actually, they don't know how to count, and they don't understand <laughs> that we're the global supermajority. Yes. So every time they call us a minority, I'm just kind of like, you just learned how to count recently. Yeah. So yeah, that's please. what's going on. Yeah. It's so true. <laughs> It's so true. I love you. You're the best. Thanks. You're the best. So where can people find out about your shows? Where can people see you? Where can they find you on on your feed? Where, yeah, where um, are you at? This is this is a question that always is um, a little confronting. I have a social media addiction. Mm-hmm. So you can find me on Instagram where I spend too much time. I love it. says screen time on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. It's at A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. And I post TMI there all the time. Oh, good. Because I need to see. Yeah. I want to see. It, you'll just basically get copious amounts of selfies, um, me working through all my trauma in extremely public forms, telling the weather report, basically anything you could ever need just right it. there. 
Well, you're beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Of course, thank you. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Kat Hong and original music by Garrison Starr. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.